This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK11. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm donate to get our alien badges and art prints, featuring original illustration by Tobuushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as he is every week, fresh off of his fantastic interview with Una from last week, it's Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how's everything going? It's going pretty well, Chris. Uh, The weather is cooler here. It's rainy. Uh, It feels a little bit like London or something like that outside. So maybe I've temporarily (laughs) shifted into an alternate rally where Dallas is actually London, which would be okay with me. Uh, Unfortunately, I look outside and it's still Dallas. So um, other than that, everything's pretty good here. Uh, How about you? I see. I'm doing okay. It's, you know, feeling like autumn and... Uh, my nose thinks so too, as I'm sneezing a lot, apparently. So, um, which, you know, I mean, it could mean I'm Bajoran pregnant. I don't know. Whoa. whoa. All kinds of strange stuff well, happens you know, these days. Trip got pregnant on Enterprise. Yeah. So there's a good chance that you may as well be pregnant, but with a Bajoran baby. Apparently so. Luckily, I don't have any nipples on my wrists yet. So I'm going to keep my eyes open. I don't think that happens to Bajorans, but, you know, Trip told me if you ever start feeling funny, uh, just, you know, check your wrists. Yeah, well, it's a good thing that you do Warp 5, so you know all of this information. Um, and, uh, wow, we've already hit wrist nipples, and we're in not even three <laughs> minutes to the show. So welcome to Literary Treks, folks. That's right. All right, well, let's just jump into our Star Trek book news then. And the first item that we have up is, is something I haven't really thought about that much in quite a long time, and that's the Lost Era book series. And we knew that David R. George III had a new book coming out. We just had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. And this is a Lost Era novel, and now we have a name, and we have tiny, tiny information about it. Yeah, Chris, it looks like this one's set between 2303 and 2319, which uh, is interesting. It also will be uh, featuring a captain that he has written before, and it's called One Constant Star uh, with the preface The Lost Era. So uh, this will be the first time we've seen a Lost Era book in quite a while. In fact, uh, the last time that happened was in 2003, uh, and so... Which was exciting to me uh, because, you know, I enjoyed The Buried Age, which uh, Christopher L. Bennett wrote about Picard. And then, of course, the Tarak Noor series, which was fantastic, um, filling us in in the background of the occupation 
for Bajor and the Cardassians. And so, um, and of course, James Swallow was a part of that. So some great stuff there. And I'm excited to see what it is that they've got in store for us. Um, you know, we know next year we're going to be getting uh, Voyager to start off. We're going to get some um, TOS books. And, and now we'll be getting a Lost Era book as well. So it sounds like there's a great mix next year of novels, which for me as the reviewer is quite exciting. Yeah. Now, with 2003, this is going to be the first time that there's been a Lost Era book with Lost Era in the title itself, because I remember the series and and uh, picking up some of those, and they, they kind of got away from using that in the title for a while, even though there were books that were set in that time period. So that's where we seem to be headed. Now, again, this is a captain that David has written previously. Does that give you any hint as to the time period? A captain he's written previously. Any idea what you think he might be writing about? Well, Chris, um, you know, David has written uh, in the Lost Era before. And uh, one of his books was uh, The Serpents Among the Ruins, which is a tale about John Harriman, the captain of the Enterprise B. And uh, that book actually took place in 2311. And so it would fit very nicely to have another Harriman tale being taken place between 2303 and 2319, maybe kind of giving us uh, a larger spectrum of Harriman's life, you know, maybe why he's uh, been chosen as captain of the Enterprise B, and, you know, a little bit more subsequent information about him after um, the events we see take place in the Serpents Among the Ruins. And so, honestly, I think that would be really exciting. Uh, it also means, Chris, it sounds like we're going to need to be reviewing the Serpents Among Ruins, most likely, uh, before this book comes <laughs> right. out. So, I, I, that's exciting to me. You know, Harriman is a character, uh, we did the comic series, and uh, I really liked that yeah. Harriman comic. You did not as much as I did, but um, I think he's a character that's kind of... Um, got a lot of potential in the right hands. So I would love to see this be something that uh, David does. I think in the right hands is the key word, yeah, because I, I didn't like Harriman in Generations. And for those looking on the timeline, the events in Generations with the Enterprise B and the death of Kirk and all, that happened in 2293. So that leads us into... Uh, the previous the book that we're talking about here, and then the potential story that if and again we don't know we're only speculating here if David is writing about Harriman in this new Lost Era book would would lead into that time period. So yeah, and yeah, I didn't like the comic as much either as you did, but I, I think I'm I'm biased against Harriman. <laughs> so maybe you know let's do that book, let's do that um, Serpents Among Ruins, and then. If this is the story that David's writing, we'll do that as well. Maybe I'll come around. Maybe I'll start to like Harriman a little bit. We'll, well hey, that's exciting. Anytime, any way we can get you to like Harriman, I, th I think he deserves it. So Maybe you just need to put Leffler in the story. Oh, wow. See, Chris, you know, you could just honestly put Leffler in anything, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm waiting wow. for that, that, that uh, spinoff series with Leffler and Zara. <laughs> oh goodness that would be fantastic the jj um version of of Lefter and sahara that would be great i feel like this needs to happen uh you know man we should get mike johnson on this um 
But before we do that, Chris, uh, a quick update was uh, we saw this over at the Trek Collective, and David Mack had tweeted that his next novel, forthcoming, is going to be called Section 31, Disavowed. It's going to be a direct sequel to his entry in the fall series, A Ceremony of Losses. Very excited about this. In fact, you know, we haven't seen a Section 31 novel in quite a while since they did that series back when, in fact, we reviewed the uh, Bashir version. Abyss. Uh, Abyss, yeah. exactly. So, which is a fantastic novel. And uh, I like seeing this. We know Section 31 does have a big impact on the reason that the Andorians did leave uh, the Federation because of their. Uh, impact on the vanguard series as well as what happened with uh what had been hidden from the andorians in a paths of disharmony by dayton ward so i'm very excited to see that number one the fall series is being followed up and two that we'll get to see more of this because this next book with david mack i have not started yet i have it waiting on my nook it is involving julian Bashir and the Andorians, and this whole mess that they're in as a species. So I'm very excited to see that continue, and nice to know that I will not have to wait long, hopefully, to see David's book next year. Sounds good, sounds good. Yeah, we haven't had a Section 31 novel in a while, although we've had them appear everywhere else, it seems. Into Darkness, the comics, all over the place. They're everywhere. They, they are the Jeffrey Combs of undercover organizations. I was just about to say that. Dang it, Chris. <laughs> Beat you to it. <laughs> oh. oh, no. Put down the ice cleaver, Matthew. I'm sorry. Oh, man, this is not the ready room, but I feel like an Andorian fight scene needs to happen right now. Oh, goodness. Anyway, um, and uh, wow, goodness. Well, Chris, exciting news for comic fans the official website star trek.com is starting a new part of the blog which is called the writer's log and they're going to be taking us behind the scenes of the comics with the writers and their first entry was by mike johnson talking about the con comic number one which we reviewed which we both gave actually rave reviews to and uh, mike johnson takes us behind the scenes uh taking us through some of the most interesting panels that they did and giving us some background information so uh, i'm pretty excited about this chris i love background information i think that's why we do literary treks and interviews uh, because it's behind the scenes of the books and comics and star trek.com is doing our job <laughs> I think Mike Johnson needs to come on Literary Treks. I think that's correct. We're going to put out a call right now. So, yeah, I, I read this on Star StarTrek.com, and I think it's a good introduction for the casual comic reader. Like, I, I personally didn't get a whole lot out of it myself, but I think it's a good, it's promising that if they can dig deeper into the production side of the comics in addition to what they talk about in the writer's log number one, I think it could be a really interesting series. This one, they take you through, uh, you know, some, uh, it's a, a lot about the thought process behind like why they do certain things. Like why does Cogley show up in the courtroom scene of Khan's trial? Uh, why do they have specific frames like Khan when he's a, when he's younger, when he's Noonian and he's sitting there on the bed and he's typing into the computer, you know, that's a callback to the scene from Space Seed where 
Khan is in the sickbay and he's calling up the ship schematics and such. So it's uh, it's an interesting look at their thought process behind it. And I, I do hope that they dig deeper, though. I'd like to see more of the actual production side. I'd like to know more about what goes on behind the scenes to actually get the comic uh, prepared and produced and out to us. So we'll see where it goes uh, in writer's log number two when that comes up. I think what's exciting about it, Chris, though, it, even what you just mentioned um, about them um, kind of giving it a, a nice reference to Spacey there, it just shows you how much these guys know about Star Trek and what they're writing about. Yeah. So the fact that they can reference a scene, you know, uh, from Spacey and put that into the comic is just something like, again, you know, I, I as, a, as a big fan didn't even pick that up. Um, but just seeing that uh, they're very cognizant and aware of, of what they're doing and what they're writing and, and why they're doing it, that gives me a, a great confidence in the comics just in general. And I think on a whole, we have both said that over and over again about the ongoing comics, uh, that they have created a very rich world uh, to to really enjoy and uh, to really get yeah. into. And they've been doing that by doing these kind of things. Uh, by dropping these small hints uh, and letting us know that they are very aware of what they are uh, referencing and at the same time creating a whole new world. Uh, and no, I'm not talking about The Little Mermaid. Uh, just giving us a great uh, uh, version of the universe that we thought we knew and uh, kind of mixing it up and making it different and making it worth buying the comics in the first place. So right. um, I'm yeah. really glad that they're doing this. And I think... You know, you got to start off small, and so this this one is probably not quite as in depth as hopefully they'll go as they continue on with these writers' logs. I hope so. Yeah, you just reminded me of something, Matthew. Uh, Ariel in the Abrams verse Little Mermaid world, she's really mean. She's kind of like the Khan of the mermaids. Oh goodness, man, that would be horrible. Oh, let's not have that happen. <laughs> I don't need an alternate version of the Little Mermaid. Um, yeah, that just sounds. You know, Ursula, on the other hand, is just a sweetheart. Ah, yeah, and a beautiful voice too. She has a fantastic voice. Yeah, but yeah, I hear what you say. You know, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of the Abrams verse and the movies, as everyone knows. But I really do enjoy the comics. I I just feel like. They have created, as you say, a rich world, and I feel like this world works really well in the comics where they can just tell stories. And does it work this way for you, Matthew? For some reason, for me, with the Abrams verse, anything that they do with the characters, it doesn't bother me when they do it in the comics. It's only when it's on the big screen in a movie where I connect it to the rest of Star Trek and I feel like, okay, I don't know if I really like what you're doing right here but when it's in the comics it's all just perfectly fine with me you know that's a good point chris i don't really know i think um i think maybe in a lot of ways i divorced uh the abrams verse from the other series enough so that i mm -hmm. can let that go but you know there are i mean there are some times where it's too far, and I think that's, for me personally, the Spock character has been the one that I don't gravitate towards as much yeah. as a lot of people do. And 
uh, I think that that's a, that's a difference that I have from a lot of people. Most people, I think, really enjoy Quinto's Spock, but for something about there's something about it for me that's just it's not right enough. Um, whereas you know mm-hmm. Pines, Kirk, or um, Urban's McCoy, I think, is dead on without being a copy, and and obviously very. In, in some ways get, they're different characters you know there's similarities but they are different so um I, I yeah i'm with you chris i I think that's one of the things that the comic does do well definitely so i do hope to see more of this um and uh more behind the scenes information and, and hopefully a little bit more about maybe uh just how they come up with the story ideas what they're going to do how does this i mean you know they have bob orsi's ear how how does he now that they're working on the next movie how do they work the comics into that all of that kind of stuff is is rife with information that i'm i'm hoping to get out of this writer's log yeah it sounds sounds good i hope to to find the same so we will keep looking forward to this and it's nice to see StarTrek.com devoting, as they have for quite a while, you know, devoting a lot of attention to the literary universe because they, they do quite a lot of stuff related to the novels and the comics on there, which is definitely great to see. All right, Matthew, well, that's all we have in news today. But before we jump into the feature, let's tell everyone about our sponsor for this week's show, and that is Squarespace. Now, as everyone knows, because we talk about Squarespace all the time, it really is the web's best hosting and CMS that you're going to find anywhere. It's a combined platform that operates purely out of your browser, and it is a very simple way for you to create your own blog, website, portfolio, or an online store with the integrated commerce feature. Squarespace Commerce launched earlier this year in the U.S., and it has expanded very rapidly since. It's now available in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Australia, Belgium, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Spain. But Matthew, apparently not on Bajor. Oh, yeah. that's disappointing. So, Kira... I mean, I was going to open my Spring Wine website for Bajoran yeah. Spring Wine, and well, I mean, it won't do me much good. I mean, it will do me great in the rest of the galaxy, but man, no Bajor, goodness. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna start my blog where uh, I, I, it's about Bajoran prophecies. But we sell little trinkets that people can buy at the temples to give them good luck. And, oh, and great. And I so guess I'm going to have to hold off on that as well. You're like that person who says, hey, I've got a piece of the Shroud of Turin. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's why Quark is such a good friend of mine. Ah, uh, we've got I see. A little business I, going. Okay, I see where this is going. <laughs> Okay, so Squarespace Commerce is not available on Bajor yet, but it is available in all the countries that I just listed. And that list of countries is growing all the time as Squarespace and Stripe work very hard to expand the reach of commerce. Now, there's a 30-second merchant sign-up with Stripe that gives you instant approval and does not require any paperwork. And once that's done, you can begin receiving money for purchases via direct deposit in just moments. And full tax and shipping rules by region also help you run your store, as does the, the great order management interface that lets you easily track outstanding orders, resend customer update emails, print packing slips, and you can do it all from a single interface. And if you already have a shop set up somewhere else, and if you have existing inventory somewhere like Shopify or Big Cartel, 
you can move that right over to Squarespace with just a few clicks. Now, if commerce isn't your thing and you're just looking to make a blog or a website or a portfolio, you'll love the tools at Squarespace that allow you to just drag and drop blocks of different types of content to easily lay out beautiful pages with no HTML knowledge whatsoever. Now, if you do know CSS, you can go in and you can customize CSS. Or if you're a developer and you want to have complete control over everything, you can go into the developer mode as well and use all the power of Squarespace but use tools that you're familiar with as well and have access to you know, every single line of code. So no matter what your level is, Squarespace makes it very easy for you to harness incredible power to create an exceptional website. But you know, Matthew, the best way to find out how good Squarespace is and how the tools work is just to try it free for yourself. You can get a free 14-day trial. There is no credit card required. You just go enter your name and your email address, and in a matter of minutes, you'll be building your website. If you already have a website on a platform like WordPress or many of the other popular platforms, you can import that right into Squarespace during your free trial, see what it's going to look like, use the tools to tweak it, to you know change the look, whatever you want to do with it, and try Squarespace out firsthand with your existing content. Once you get ready to sign up, plans start at just $8 per month, $16 for unlimited, and the commerce package that we talked about is just $24 per month, which is a fantastic price for an all-in-one package. And as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts by using our offer code TREK11. And if you choose the annual plan, you can get a free custom domain registration as well. So Matthew, BajoranSpringWine.com is yours Just go over there and register today. So just go to squarespace.com to get that free trial and try out Squarespace. Don't forget to use offer code TREK11. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks and Trek FM. Chris, uh, a few weeks ago, we had discussed uh, the demons of air and darkness as we were working our way through the Deep Space Nine relaunch series in the novels. And as anyone knows who's read the book, it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger where you're left with Kira jumping through a gateway. And yet we don't know what happens to Kira because then the book ends. And to finish off the Gateway series, they did a collection of stories for each one of the different books that had happened in the Gateway series. And so we got a short story to let us know what happens to Kira and where she went and how she actually gets back to Deep Space Nine. Because we all know by the time we get to Twilight, David R. George III's kickoff of the Mission Gamma series, that Kira is back. And so the question was, well, how in the world does Kira get back to the station? And so Horn and Ivory is the answer to that question. So after stepping through the gateway, Kira finds herself, unfortunately, which happens to Kira a lot these days, since we just saw this in Revelation and Dust with David R. George III's book, In the fall series, Kira finds herself in the Bajor's past, where she is fighting for the freedom of a Bajoran civilization. Now, which is really interesting is that Kira's gone so far back in the past, this is before Bajor is a united society across the entire planet. And so this is the different Bajoran sects actually fighting each other. And 
Um, not everyone right now on Bajor even believes in the prophets. And so this is quite an interesting short story, Chris. Uh, and just quick um, observations or, or thoughts. What did you think of the story in general? I enjoyed the story. I mean, it's a little bit transparent. It's 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 a very obvious parallel between Kira's life growing up on Bajor under the Cardassian occupation and how she's fighting for her people and then what's happening to her here in the past. Now, as you said, she goes back very far. She actually goes back 30,000 years into the past, which if it, it, it kind of blows your mind because if you think about human civilization here on Earth, you know, we're talking like 10,000 years maybe. And, and even that is very, very primitive. The point of development where we were compared to what we see here in the story with the Bajoran people is just a few thousand years ago, right? And this is 30,000 years ago that this was going on on, the, on that planet, it which makes is amazing. Me, but It makes me think, Chris, that Bajorans are really slow. I mean, 30,000 <laughs> years and, you know, they were, they were, you know, the occupation obviously happened, but, you know, they... Their ships are kind of small, and, and, and they really haven't involved that much technologically. I mean, by the time the Cardassians come, I mean, you know, they have space flight and everything, but it's, you know, they had, you know, not warp vessels. They're not using warp vessels. They're they're using sublight engines mostly and things like that. So, well, man, really slow people. You could look at it that way, but I, I feel also, though, that the Bajorans, as we see them in Star Trek, are on the downhill side of their civilization. Don't don't you? I, I believe that's even said at one point, isn't it? But you know, they had like their peak of technology long before humans ever had any kind you know, of technology. Yeah, I They're guess kind of on the downslide. I guess that makes sense in the sense that they are in their downhill slide. When it comes to their civilization, but at the same time, I mean, you know, obviously in the novels, they're going to join the Federation, mm -hmm. and so their their civilization will continue to grow in that way, and they'll continue to add to a greater society than just their own. So, yeah, that's it's an interesting thought, though. Thirty thousand years, yeah, and their development was very much like. Like if you felt like in this story, you were kind of in pirate times, you know, you got right. cannons yeah. and ships and armies, you know, lining up against each other with, with guns, right. uh, projectile weapons. And so the, the Navy of wooden ships is exactly, coming around exactly. the peninsula. And it also makes me think though, that one thing with Bajor and you talk about, you know, they have small ships and, and such when we see them in deep space nine is the nature of the society because they ultimately become a very spiritual society. So I feel like they turn back in on themselves more and their interest is not in building giant spaceships and going out and exploring and uh, I hate to use the word conquering, but it, it would make sense for the story that we're going to talk about here, uh, areas of space for themselves. Uh, they're almost like the Baku in Insurrection, where they have really advanced technology, but they're not interested in using that technology to go out. 
And I think they are also, uh, you know, Chris, you make a great point, and they're also a very artistic people, and so they spend a right. lot of their time really expressing themselves in, in um, almost a celebration, I think, of of their faith in the prophets, uh, celebrating with good food, good wine, um, you know, beautiful architecture, uh, really taking care of the planet that they live on. Um, you know, uh, when we do see Bajor in Deep Space Nine specifically, um, it's a beautiful place, and uh, it's it's well cultivated by the people. Um, obviously, the scars of the um, occupation leave it it quite damaged. But the the what we know of Bajor in the past too of great cities like Bahala and things like that. This is a this is a wonderful, beautiful, amazing place to live, and so they spend a lot of their time, I think, celebrating um their their belief system by uh really creating a world up and in some ways a paradise you know that that's that's a great point and, and so it and it shows to the difference of every um uh, race in the galaxy of the star trek galaxy uh, you know and uh, how their beliefs really affect that it's nice to see a race like that that isn't just building a fleet of starships to go out and battle with other races in the galaxy because most of the races that we see in Star Trek, all the major races, that's what they do. They have giant fleets of starships and they're all pretty much the same. The people just look different, whereas the Bajorans actually are a very different type of advanced culture than what we see most of the time. Yeah, I I think it's it's really neat to be able to see uh, a few different races here and there um, that their focus isn't about exploring or anything like that. It, it's about, um, you know, in some ways, just kind of living the good life and um, doing it well and, and benefiting those people who come to visit them. You know, uh, you know, um, we were talking about earlier the Lost Era and the Bajorans, you know, at the beginning welcomed the Cardassians uh, until they realized what, it ha- what was happening and that their planet had been taken over at that point. So... They're a, a, a beautiful people, and, and it's it was interesting to see, too, in this book, you get kind of the correlation between where we are now on Earth, you know, and the different factions fighting each other, and, you know, um, this idea of we're, we're, our world is getting smaller, yet at the same time, we're all fighting for freedom from any kind of tyranny or you know what any of those kind of things so it's interesting it's a it's a good beginning uh to the story here it, it is interesting and, and you're right it's very transparent of what uh keith is trying to do which is is for kira to basically have um it's not an orb experience but you do get the feeling that her her transportation to this place is very much guided by the prophets to teach her something. Right, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's not an orb experience, but the prophets, I think, sent her there intentionally. It's kind of the way that the prophets would always remind Cisco that he was the emissary. You know, anytime that Cisco started to doubt, the prophets would do something to remind him of what his purpose was. But that's even what we get when, when they send him back and far beyond the stars and he's has these visions of being Benny Russell. You know, that's the prophet's way of, of waking him up and reminding him of something. And 
this seems also like a case of the prophets using this to make a point to Kira. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, that's a really neat thing to see. Um, and and you know, uh, it was something that was kind of needed. Uh, I think for the character, she had been through so much, you know, with being attained and losing Cisco, being thrust into being the captain of Deep Space Nine, kind of living in Cisco's shadow. And this book really does a great job of her being able to figure out who she is and push forward. And I really do like that. I think it, it works really well for the story. I think it really helps the character of Kira to be able to move forward and, and in some ways kind of find herself again, you know, become a little bit more of that Kira that we're used to seeing somebody who's a little bit feisty, somebody so, who's yeah. a little bit more of a fighter. And I think that this book does a lot for kind of uh, restoring that person back to us in some ways. And, and that's great. So let's go back to at the beginning when you were doing your introduction and you mentioned that this is a point in time where Bajor is not a united planet. What I found really interesting, and I correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember a mention of this on the show. And if this is something Keith came up with, I think it's really great. There is this faction called the Bajora. And the Bajora are the group on the planet who believe in the prophets, but they're just one group out of many different groups at that point in time, but they are starting to consolidate power. They're starting to bring various other groups underneath their wing. So you can see how it leads to a point where the planet is united and the planet is called Bajor. So at this point, the natives, I'm sure, did not call the planet Bajor. I don't know what name they had for the planet itself, but the name Bajor obviously comes from Bajora and the the group that finally united everyone as children of the prophets. Which is a great reference to the next generation when the Bajorans are first on the series. And they, oh, because they call them the Bajora, don't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. That's right. And so yeah. um, it, it, it is a nice callback to the fact that the, the continuity there That's right. isn't quite right. And so... Yeah. Um, I, I like so that. Keith fixed the continuity exactly. That's great, exactly. Yes. Uh, kind of retconning why they might be known as the Bajora in the next generation, yeah. and I like um, that. And at the same time, would make sense since the Bajorans had just gotten out of the occupation or were just getting out of the occupation uh, in the next generation, and then by the time Deep Space Nine comes around, they're presenting themselves again to the universe as a unified planet. So being called mm -hmm. the Bajorans and, and Bajor uh, might be the choice of the provisional government at that point. Uh, not something that I'm just speculating here. So, um, But yeah, it, it works really well um, to yeah. see that. And, and interesting to see, too, that the Bajora and their tactics aren't necessarily the most... Um, aren't really the best. You know, uh, there, there are backing factions they think that will win... And yet, um, their way of going about this this idea of of creating a one world, you know, power government, um, it it's not necessarily the most benevolent way of doing it. Right. Well, I think in the environment that we see, you can't take a benevolent approach to something 
like that because you've got these different factions. We have a number of groups in this story. We have Entry and the Entry Navy, and that's uh, E-N-D-T-R-E-E, like in the tree. Not entree. It's not a frozen dinner or anything like that. It's not oh, entry in a competition. <laughs> so we have the end tree navy. We have Larret and the Larret army. And then we have the Perikian free army because this is on the Perikian peninsula, which actually is a callback to the show. If you remember in the circle, the Perikian peninsula area is where the oh, yeah, that's Bajoran right. army, the free army, had their headquarters. And so that is a callback there, which is kind of interesting that that's where she ends up in that area. But you have all these different factions that are fighting. And and this brings me back to the other point I wanted to make a minute ago, where we were just talking about the Bajorans that we see in DS9 and the fact that they have small ships and such. Going back to what Kira sees here, let's suppose that the Bajora had been unsuccessful and one of these other factions had won out, the Bajorans could be very, very different. They could have turned out to be Cardassian or Klingon or Romulan-type people who may have used their technology to build massive armadas to go out and conquer other worlds. So I think that what Kira sees happening here in this story really influences the development of Bajor and what, what we see later on. Well, and uh, it's very interesting to see that uh, it's really this devotion and belief in the prophets that really guides that as well as kind of being the overarching philosophy for most of Bajor by the time they get to that point. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting thing to see in the kind of peaceful uh, benevolent type of people it creates um, and again I think it, it's a it's kind of a, a beautiful thing to see uh, Star Trek show that uh, you know religion uh, for this people creates the, the kind of place that anybody would want to live and that it's because of that religion that it creates this now does that create some problems sometimes you know do we have people that to do it wrong when we see people like Kai Wynn or whatnot. Yes. Um, but on a whole, is the benefit the best for all of the people on Bajor? Yes. Uh, I think that's a really bold thing to be able to see here uh, in this story and throughout Deep Space Nine in general. So uh, I think that's a really neat thing and I really appreciate it. So as I said, there are a lot of transparent parallels in the story and there's the case of just the increased traffic in the port area where Kira ends up, of course, is a reference to DS9 and the increased traffic after the Cardassians leave. And the wormholes discovered, of course, is the key to that in the increased traffic. And she fights with the Perikians to repel the Lariat army. And a tree who we mentioned is there. They're kind of allies with the Perikians. They're basically like the Federation in this scenario for Kira. And, uh, you know, she... Did this remind you a bit where, it, towards the end, when they're making their way back and they're up in the mountains and they're both about to die? I mean, Kira has pneumonia. Torna's uh, bleeding. Like, he wants her to cut his arm off, basically, so he can hopefully make it through. But just the hardship that they're going through there, and with it being near the end, right before... 
she gets back. Did it remind you a bit of the final chapters of what we saw on Deep Space Nine of her story where she's fighting with Damar, you know, she's in the resistance. And really, I mean, they were just that far away from everything ending with the with the founders and when they were on Cardassia. I, I kind of saw that as the parallel here too as we near the end of the short story. Yeah, it, it does remind me of that. And I, um, I thought that was a great uh, callback to the hardship that they go through. It always made me wish a little bit that we had gotten just a little bit more uh, of seeing what that was like. I feel like it's so fast at the end of Deep Space Nine. Um, and yeah. that's just a whole great story thread. And I was always so glad for the pit bits that we did get. Um, but I really enjoy uh, this callback to that. And, uh, you know, the, the one of the things that I thought was really interesting, Chris, is that, you know, we're talking about all these parallels. And there are two big things that really kind of come from this um, that I thought were interesting. One was that she actually meets an Iconian, which I thought was kind of cool, which right nobody's and really met one before um that they? reminded me by the way have you ever read the the new rama series that arthur c clark wrote i have with it gentry lee that scene where she meets the iconian and the iconian explains various things to her uh including what i mentioned when we did demons of air and darkness that i missed out on which was the explanation of why there are no iconian right. gateways in right. the Jordan system that scene reminded me so much of the end of Rama Revealed, which is the last book in the series, where finally mm-hmm. uh, our our character is they're there and with these aliens. It's like the secret of Rama is finally revealed, and they're explaining about uh, like a map of the galaxy and why you know how extinctions have come through the galaxy and cycles and such. So it just reminded me a great deal of that. But yeah, I thought that that was great that they finally explained that question that you had had, why there are no gateways uh, within uh, the Bajoran system and that that's not necessarily true. And that the fact is that the Iconians know the prophets right? and they have great respect for the prophets. And you know, what's really funny, Chris is I've been watching a lot of doctor who lately, and this is really just like a doctor who episode. To me, it's almost like because <laughs> yeah. it happens the same way, you know, the TARDIS ends up somewhere and they have to figure out what's going on, why they're there. They become part of the story. And in the end, you know, they learn something. Uh, <laughs> it's just like Kira has been dropped off by the doctor, but without the doctor. Um, oh, well, maybe Kira herself is a Time Lord. That is maybe she's the last Time Lord. That's it. Without then she lost her TARDIS. That's this is what happens. <laughs> uh, never misplaced your TARDIS. Right. So anyway, uh, so you were saying what ha- what this does for her? So yes, that that was yes. the first one. She meets uh, an Iconian, and uh, so one was that the neat thing of meeting the Iconian, finding out the Iconians uh, knew the the prophets, who they were. They had great respect for them. And that they had promised long ago uh, to, one, never ever interfere with Bajor, and two, that they would also watch out for Bajor, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and then the last thing was, is that Kira realizes after this, is she, you know, she's been keeping the baseball on her desk and right. in some ways kind of living in the shadow of that baseball, what it represents, which is Cisco. 
in that she's finally realized that it's time to take the the, the baseball. It's time to take the Cisco out of that office and that it's it's time for her to be the captain. It's time for her yeah. um, to be who she needs to be, which is somebody who is not worried about the fact that she's attained anymore. She's somebody who who needs to be that old Kira in some ways. And I thought that was great that she you know, takes that baseball and she puts it in the drawer of the desk, you know, talk, telling herself, and Benjamin, it's here when you get back. But for now, this is mine. Mm-hmm. So in order for Kira to figure this out, she had to travel 30,000 years into the past fight a primitive conflict, almost die on a mountainside, meet an Iconian, get back to the station. For Riker to learn this, he only had to talk to Guinan. Man, how thick can you when get? When she told Riker that this is your office now, you're the captain. Well, you know, but I think Riker had probably put his leg up on something and <laughs> that vibe had impacted Guinan and she was able to have that realization. Um, yeah. You know, Kira doesn't prop her leg up on anything. so um, Usually not, no. Yeah. But no, it's it's a good point. And I, I, what I find interesting is that as we make our way through the DS9 relaunch series, that this story is a very, very important turning point for Kira and what's going to come for her, right? And that turning point happens not in one of the big novels in the relaunch series, but in this short story that was tacked on to the end of the Gateway series. What I think, Chris, is that, you know, as we've talked about on the show, the short ebooks that come out, the power that a short story can have to really tell you a great character moment and a really important character moment and, and a defining character moment. And I think that that's something that the authors who write these stories do such a great job of. And, um, and it makes me, again, excited to have more of these kind of stories where you get um, just a small snippet of a character's life but it can be really important to like completely changing that character and moving them forward. And and so, you know, all in all, this is a, this is a great short story. It is collected in what lay beyond, which does collect the entire ending series stories for the entire gateway series. But Hey, it was only like five 99 on the nook for all of these short stories. So that's not a bad deal to get all these great stories and it it does give you an incentive then because you end up getting it if you want to read this to go back and read the other books in the Gateway series because I've heard they've all they were all good. Yeah, I totally agree with you with these shorter stories because you know, even in science fiction, I I'm a big fan of general science fiction, but I really like short stories better than novels because when you write a novel You've got to have multiple threads going. Uh, Often you have to pad quite a bit because you need the novel to be a certain length. And really, if you want to write character stories, this is the perfect venue for it because Keith here was able to focus just on Kira. It's just Kira's story. There's nothing else going on to distract us from the message that Kira is learning as the prophets apparently have sent her through this particular gateway into the past to 
give her not a vision through an orb, but to teach her in the same way. Uh, but but maybe it has more impact because it's really firsthand. Mm. Uh, in fact, you remember at the end of the story, she wants to keep the scar on her arm. Right. Because right. that's a reminder to her that this really happened. You know, this wasn't just some vision. This She actually lived this. And I thought that was important. But I think that this, for me, at the very beginning, you asked me what did I think basically about the story. And uh, what I was going to say, and then we got off on other topics, was that I liked this short story in the final book of Gateways better than I liked Demons of Air and Darkness because this was really DS9. It was really about Kira. It, it really had a good message that tied in to the overall story of DS9, all the way back from Emissary onward. And uh, we didn't have any Herogen fighting Jim'Hadar, anything like that, uh, taking up space in the story. It was just about Kira. So I, I really enjoyed this, uh, remembering that it's a short story. You know, Don't go into it thinking that you're going to read some epic novel. It's just a short story, and I think it's a very good one. Yeah, Chris, I'm right there with you. I really do like this. I don't know if I like it better than Demons in Air Darkness, but I think it really is a worthy follow-up. And it is a fantastic story, like we said, for moving forward. The character of Kira, especially with all that has happened to her in this relaunch already. And um, I, I think it's uh, well worth the read. And honestly, um, I, I think it was well worth me buying this entire book just to read this one story. I, I yeah. think it was that good. And so I, I, I really do... Uh, encourage anyone who has been following along with us uh, that that read Demons of Air and Darkness to go ahead and get this, read it. You will not be sorry. It's a fantastic story. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, Matthew. Well, we've had fun talking about Horn and Ivory, which, as I was going to point out, I, I for a minute there, I thought that Kira had jumped through the wrong gate and gone to 1982 because, you know, Horn and Ivory, that was my favorite hit by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. Oh, man, that's such a good song. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. Uh, but this is not the only thing we've been talking about on the network this week. And and apparently not the only song, because I hear that the Earl Grey guy is actually saying Lady in Red oh, this gosh. week about data. So uh, you can check that out and other things with these things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. Time travel and alternate realities. And then you have everybody else on the Defiant that we, you know, obviously don't know very well, but they all have somebody that's going to be affected. And then you think, too, oh, goodness, the whole entire Dominion War would have been affected if they hadn't gone back. Earl Grey. Episodes we love to defend. In the observation lounge, and he accidentally calls them number one, and then they look at each other like, is he going to figure it out? I'm thinking, what do the freaking know? They don't know anything. <laughs> They're not like, wait, wait, let me look that up. Wait, that means something that Captain Picard calls his first. No, they don't know that. The ready room. Relics. In the day, I, I asked Ron about it, and he said, we just screwed up. I screwed up. Producer screwed up. Mike and Rick and and uh, it wouldn't be Andre then. It would have been uh, it would have been Narain as the science advisor. It's like nobody caught it. To the journey. Five episode marathon. Yeah, with Aisha Tyler and Jerry Ryan. She talked about how when she signed up and actually signed the contract, 
to become Seven of Nine. She'd never seen the show before, but she watched an episode of Star Trek Voyager as she went home that night and was aired. But apparently it was like the worst episode ever. She literally cried that night because she's like, what on earth did I do? Commentary, Trek stars. Ronald D. Moore recap. So you're saying that you wish Star Trek was BSG? No. What Just I'm... say for the record that you wish Star Trek had never existed <laughs> and that Battlestar Galactica was was uh, the, the thing instead. Warp 5. Enterprise Season 1 Blu-rays. Towards the end of that particular documentary, Brandon expresses that he had been also feeling quite dejected and burnt out at the end of the first season which makes me wonder yeah you know did he did he really have the energy did, did was it kind of only just hang it in there trek news and views halloween tracks played the um, the the murdering crazy person who has psychic visions and uh, can communicate with the ghosts it was kind of a similar character to the one on voyager right no no okay <laughs> <laughs> literary treks demons of air and darkness well, what's what's interesting about it is is that you know, Kira, her gods haven't cast her out. You know, her people have, and it's yeah. a lot the same way of you know Luther and his ninety five theses and being kicked out of the Catholic Church and all of that happening. Because what Kira has brought to her people is is kind of a reformation. And introducing our TOS show, Standard Orbit. James Tiberius Kirk. No, Star, Star Trek Four. I mean, aside from the bookend stuff, I don't really know how much Kirk grows there. It's it's kind of a standalone story in a lot of he, ways. He learns about whales and how it's bad to hunt any animal to extinction, <laughs> which I guess is an, an important lesson to uh, learn. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in many places, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. You can download or stream from the website. Many places for you to get the shows, and you can get links to everything by going to trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory. All right, Matthew, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on the things we talked about in news or on the relaunch series on Kira, Horn and Ivory, anything like that. You can go to trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose literary treks, and that will come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website. Just look for the tab, click on it, and you can use your webcam's microphone to record a message and upload it to us as an MP3 file, and we would love to hear your voice. And you can also talk to other listeners about the show by going to our forums at trek.afilm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and on Twitter, you'll find us tweeting away about Star Trek all the time under username Trek FM. Now, Matthew, when you're not living with pirates and uh, fighting on the high seas, where can people find you? Well, Chris, goodness, when I'm not doing that, you can find me hanging out on Twitter at MattRushing02. That's the best place to find me, uh, tweeting about all sorts of different things, so you can give me a follow there. Also, uh, we also talk a lot of Deep Space Nine, so I like to hang out at Quarks with you, where we talk about uh, things uh, revolving around our favorite Star Trek series on the orb. So that's the other place that you can find me. Uh, now, now, Chris, when you're not 3,000 years back in the past hanging out with our ancestors, where can we find you? 
Well, like you, I like to hang out in Quarks. And you know what people don't know about the Orb is it's actually a show with three hosts. We, we do it from Quarks and we have Morn with us. He just never says anything on the air. Yeah, which is so weird because, I mean, off the air, the guy will not shut up. He's so loquacious. He's very insightful. He really yeah, is. really is. Yeah, I wish people could uh, could hear the other side of the orb. Yeah, that'd be good. The other side of the orb. <laughs> Larry, are you here? <laughs> <laughs> now, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere on social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then on the network, besides doing the orb with you, Matthew, you'll find me every week on The Ready Room with hosts from all over the network and other guests as we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series and Star Trek news. And then you'll also find me on Warp 5 with Kate Walsh, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise. Also, Matthew, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you again to please support our sponsor for this week's show, and that sponsor is Squarespace, the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, or with the incredible commerce feature, an online store. Create your own space or your online store today. Go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial, and then use offer code TREK11 to save 10%. And remember to sign up for the annual plan to get that free custom domain registration as well. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of literary treks. Also, another way you can support us is by going to trek.afilm slash donate. And what you'll find there are eight original alien illustrations by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. We have those available as badges and as art prints, and you can mix and match, choose which ones you want in which format. There are different levels of contributions that you can choose from. And your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. So we really appreciate your support there. And you'll find all that again at trek.afilm slash donate. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Recording. Kira's fancy pants. Kira's out of time pants. <laughs> oh, oh! Does that mean they're just not there? <laughs> yeah, Kira, where are your pants? I'm sorry, they're um temporally out of sync with the rest of us. They're here. <laughs> you just can't see them. They're thirty thousand oh, years in the would... past. <laughs> that would be. That'd be one of the funniest explanations for why you weren't in uniform ever. <laughs> Where's your uniform, Colonel? Um, I left it in the past. Sorry. Heard that one before. <laughs> you mean like this morning the past when you forgot to put it on or <laughs> Oh, that that would I gotta try that sometime. Explanation at the office. Oh gosh.